Father, we do thank you and praise you for, uh, for Jesus. We thank you for this season. We thank you for the, this holiday that just uh, embodies, just, a, just it's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of snacks, and uh, it's just a time with, with family and friends and, and focusing upon Christ and his coming. Lord, we, we thank you for the story that Luke has compiled for us, that we can have all of the details about and ser- Jesus's coming into uh, the earth, um, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and just the things that happened some 2,000 years ago. It's, um, I, I just so enjoy every few years circling back to the Gospels and going through and kind of connect, just connecting um, with, with the Jesus of, of the New Testament, his life on earth. And so, Father, I pray for this season as we uh, spend the next many months in, in the Gospel of Luke. Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer to Jesus, that you would help us to have a better understanding of who he was and his teaching and his example for us, Lord. We thank you ultimately that he um, was our substitute on the cross, that he went there for us, and that by your grace, uh, through faith, Lord, we can enter into a relationship with you. Our, our sin is pardoned. Um, you see it no more, and that we no longer have to uh, feel shame, um, remorse for our previous life. Lord, we stand before you in Christ um, just with his righteousness, and we thank you for that. We pray that you would lead us now, and it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be, since I am a virgin? And the, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. For that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for the story. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, to experience the emotions that our imaginations sort of allow us to, uh, to fall into the story, to see the greatness of the story, the, the fear of the story, um, the trust of Mary as she uh, 
goes along with this plan. And so, Father, we pray that you would, again, just help us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Okay, so just going back to just remembering back to the first four verses of Luke. In the first four verses of Luke, uh, Luke begins his writing by saying that, you know, that, that a lot of people tried to tell the story about Jesus, his, his birth, his life, his burial, his death, his resurrection. And he thought it was good for himself to also tell the story. And so he was a physician by trade, but history sort of refers to him as being a historian because of the great work that he did between the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Tradition holds that he interviewed Mary sort of in her, her late age. We don't know the age, but he would have been able to, to meet with her, to talk with her, to get her side of the story. And so it's believed that a lot of what he has came from her. And so we enter into the story. We had left. Uh, last week, we, we found ourselves in Jerusalem. We found ourselves at the temple. We met this uh, couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were old. They couldn't have kids, and then they were past childbearing years. And the angel appeared to, to Zechariah in the, in the, in the holy uh, place um, and announced to him what would happen, that, that John the Baptist would come through their relationship. He had a hard time believing this, and so uh, he kind of asked the question, like, how, how can this possibly be? Like, how are you? And the angel's like, come on, man. I'm like, I'm the angel Gabriel. I stand before God. God told me to come tell you. What more do you possibly need? And he's like, if you want a sign, fine. You're going to be speechless for a while until, this, until the kid comes. And so that's where we left off. Now, in the sixth month of her pregnancy... Uh, Elizabeth's pregnancy in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Um, I like, can we go to the last Israel slide? I realize I put two Israel slides in there, but, but I want to show the big picture. So, um, so last week we're down in Jerusalem. So this is the Dead Sea. There's the, the Jordan River that flows from north to south. Um, so Jerusalem is here. We know the temple is, is there. That's the location where last week's story happened. So six months goes along, and then we sort of narrow down to this region. If you could go to that first Galilee slide, please. Okay, so now we've zoomed in. We have, we have the Sea of Galilee here. Um, this dark, darker shaded area is known as the Galilee. So the Galilee is a region, and within the region, there is a lake that we refer to as the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Tiberias. Most of Jesus' earthly ministry happened within this little triangle. Most of the Gospels happened here at Capernaum, was sort of like his headquarters. But where we go is if you go down to the south and you go out into the middle of nowhere, it's a hill town called Nazareth. And there was, there was, there was, there, there was really nothing there. So we go from one scene of big fancy temple. We, we are in the temple with this guy who is a priest, with Elizabeth, so, sort of fa fancy people. Now we're shifting to this like hole-in-the-wall town. Um, I laugh. Be, I mean, I'm, I'm laugh, I laugh. I laugh a lot. But I, for some reason, I've connected Nazareth because like 15 years ago or 10 years ago, I shared about a town in California that we, we drive up to see Anna's grandpa we'd always stop in Button Willow. And Button Willow is like, there's nothing in Button Willow. 
there's there's a gas station and like maybe one or two fast food restaurants. I don't know where the employees come from in Button Willow, but it's like there's nothing there. And so when I read Nazareth, I think Button Willow. And it's like there's there's nothing. And so we, we go to this scene. In the sixth month, that Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. And so most people are like, well, obviously, the, the people reading this time would know Nazareth because Jesus was born, like not born there, but he came from there. Um, but if you wrote this, like if you were reading this real time, you'd go like, where is this town? You'd have to pull out your map and try to figure out where it was. And so the story is very contrasted. And now we're going, to introduce, we're going to meet Mary in verse 27. So now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in, in, in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man who was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. So we're introduced to a, to a, to a lady. We're, we're told that she was a virgin. Uh, she was unmarried. She was... She was betrothed, which, which legally was like, but before the law was the sort of the same as being married as far as the extent of getting out of it. You had to get a divorce to get out of it. Um, there was a process from engagement to marriage, and it could go from a few months to a year. It could be a very long time. And so we're introduced to this girl. We, we, we don't know a lot about her. We know that she was young. I had to text Michelle this week to say, hey, Michelle, what's my, what's my bottom line? She's always laughing. She's like, people, pastors are always saying she's like young. And I'm like, can I say she was six? Just to like mess with Michelle. But we don't, we don't, we don't know. She was young. I mean, somewhere, somewhere between 14 and 19 or so. Like just she was a young lady. Um, she was excited about her life. That's me just reading into the text. Uh, She's preparing to get married. Her future's ahead of her. She's a godly young lady. She's, she's engaged to this, this Joseph man who he comes from the tribe of, or the descendant of David. So just a good, godly couple. And unfortunately, like when I come to Mary in the Bible, I do have to sort of take some time to explain what the Bible does say about her. To, Char- to quote from Charles Swindoll, he says, unfortunately, more confusion surrounds the mother of the Christ child than the baby himself. Um, I was raised in the Catholic Church, and so Mary is, is within, the, within the Catholic Church, Mary is venerated. Uh, she is worshipped. She's put on this pedestal that, that goes against what the Bible says. And we live in a culture where, where the Catholic Church has had such a such an influence that it's super important to kind of, like, what does the Bible say about her? What is, I don't want to say what does the Catholic Church say about her, but there's some common understandings about Mary that are in stark contrast to what the Bible states. And so um, it, when we look at the image of Mary, I'm not going to put up an image of Mary, but if, you, if you've been to any sort of museum if you Google Mary, you're going to find a very fancy-looking lady with, like, fancy clothes and gold and a big golden halo. Um, it doesn't fit who Mary was. She was young. She was 
likely very uneducated in, in, in her training. Uh, she was poor. We know that she was poor. Um, when she would make her offering, it would, it would be of the offering that was of, like, offered for the veriest poor people. And so she wasn't like fancy in her appearance or her background. She was a, just a poor, uh, kind of common girl. Then there's this idea that she was immaculately, like the, when you hear about the immaculate conception, um, it's very easy for you to think, oh, what they're talking about is Jesus. But what the Catholic Church is talking about is actually Mary's conception, that she was immaculately conceived. And there's, there's no indication of that in Scripture. She was conceived and born just like everybody else. We also are told by the Catholic Church that she was perpetually a virgin, so that she she had Jesus, and then she remained a virgin for the, the rest of her life. But the Bible doesn't support that. The Bible talks about Jesus' siblings, if we can go to the next slide. Um, so we know that there was Jesus, and then he obviously had half-siblings uh, because he, they had Joseph as their father. So you, you have uh, James. We see that he was the second leader in the Church of Jerusalem. There's Joseph. There's Judas, also known as Jude, who wrote the book of Jude. Uh, Simon, and then their sisters reference, but we don't, we're not given the names of the sisters, so we don't know much about the sister, sisters. Though we see that Mary was a virgin when she, conceived, when she conceived Jesus. Then she got married, and then she continued married life just like she was supposed to do in the context of marriage, and she bore children, and Jesus had siblings, and this was, you know, a blended family of sorts. We're also told by the Catholic Church that, that Mary... Uh, was, was sinless, that she was distinct from the rest of humanity because she was immaculately conceived, therefore she's sinless, but the Bible doesn't indicate that. We'll see in today in her song that she sings in this whole thing, she's a, a, a person who needs forgiveness of sin. She's a person who needs a, a savior just like everybody else. After Jesus died and ascended into heaven as the church was waiting for what to do next, she was there just with everybody else trying to figure out um, what, like, what the next, like, what was going to happen? She wasn't God. She she didn't know. Um, bless you. Um, there's the idea that she was a co-redemptress, co-redemptress. So over history, the the Vatican has slowly like increased her standing to where Jesus just isn't the only savior of the world. That Jesus saved sinners, kind of cooperatively with Mary. And it leads to things such as praying to Mary, you know, hell, Mary, mother full of grace. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but it's like that presently there's this prayer to Mary asking for intercession, which the, the Bible simply doesn't support that. Jesus said in 14, John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Paul would write in 1 Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all and the testimony given at the proper time. So, so Mary is very elevated in a lot of the world. Um, if you go to Spain today, like in America, when we want, well, not when we want to swear, like I've tried not to swear, but we take the Lord's name in vain. If you go to like a lot of Spanish speaking, they take Mary's name in vain. Like, that, that just because she's so venerated in so much of the world. And so, as the Reformation happened, 
the evangelical church or the Protestant church basically swung to the other end. And now on the other side, I think that we as Protestants can, can sort of fall on the other side altogether and say, well, Mary was just like a person. Like, of course, Mary was just a person. But Mary was the only person in human history to be chosen by God to give birth to the Messiah, to, to, to the one who would save us. Uh, this is a lady who clearly walked with God and lived for God and, and is an example of a person and how we should live by faith. And so we don't want to just like throw her out altogether because uh, some groups have so erred in a different way. And so we come to this story of this young lady who this impossible task was, was sort of placed before her. And to see how she reacted is really an example to us of, of sort of, you know, like walking with God by faith and trusting him in the midst of circumstances that, that we, we can't possibly, like, like, that we just have a difficult time with. Like, she had an impossible task before her. We have things like our transmission goes out, and we can still trust God in the midst of those circumstances. So verse, uh, verse 28. So we're introduced to this lady. We're introduced to this little town. The angel appears again. So Gabriel greets her in verse 28. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this, this was. So he basically says, oh, great, you've received a lot of grace from God. And she's like, what is happening here? Um, and the angel said to her, don't be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. Uh, I've got a message for you. God has looked very kindly upon you, and here's this young lady trying to figure out what's happening. And if she was confused at the beginning, it's only going to get worse in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And so this message about this child that, was, that she was about to bear, and all of these sort of messianic prophecies are sort of included or alluded to in this section. We know from Genesis 3.15, it was the very first mention of the coming Messiah, that as humanity sinned and was separated from God, God gave a promise in Genesis 3.15 that this Messiah would come and ultimately make a way so that humanity could be restored to God, that he would make a way as a payment for their sins so that through faith in him, we could be restored. In this passage, he also alludes to Isaiah 7.14. A prophecy was given in Isaiah 7.14 that, uh, that a, a virgin birth would occur. So Isaiah foretells of this virgin that would come, and then there's reference to the Davidic kingdom, or the Davidic covenant found in 2 Samuel, uh, that David was told that he, his throne, there'd be an eternal uh, king over his kingdom. So obviously not earthly kingdom. And so here as the angel appears, she's like, you're going to have a kid, and this kid is going to be supernatural. <laughs> this is a super big deal. And so Mary's response was similar but different to Zacharias. And Mary said to the angel in verse 34, how can this be since I am a virgin? 
Um, so she's pure, and her questions aren't in lack of belief. Like Zechariah last week was more like, how in the world, how is this even possible? She was more like, how can this be? Not can, she's not asking, can you do this? She's asking, how is this possible? Like I'm a virgin. I'm not like my, I'm not married at this point. Like how is this all going to work? And it seems that she's asking her question from a posture of faith, not a posture of doubt, because of she's she's not she's not reprimanded by the angel, and no punishment was given to her. And so the angel is going to do his best job to explain to her what's going to happen. And so in verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and she who is called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. So when she says, how is this even going to happen? Like, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a virgin. I don't see mathematically how this can work out. And so then the angel sort of says, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to be involved here. Uh, and without getting into a big, like, trying to answer questions that we, we try to answer questions that we simply can't find the answer to, um, I like what Charles Ryrie says in Basic Theology. He says, the statement emphasizes more the fact of divine generation of the Christ than the method. So he just says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and through your egg, God is going to create this, this child that's fully God and fully man. And as we try to navigate that any more than that, I think our brains explode because we are finite. Like It's hard for us. It, the, how do you have a being that's fully God and fully mad? It's, it's, it's hard to, to understand but I believe it to be true. And Jesus' whole life, all of his miracles, all of these things were signs to authenticate that he was exactly who he claimed to be. And he said, okay, don't get wrapped around the axle about this. You know your, you know your, uh, um, you know your relative uh, Elizabeth? She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the really old one that's barren, that one? Yeah, yeah, by the, she's six months pregnant right now. <laughs> and that's a, like, this is what's happened to sort of give you sort of proof that this is what's going on. So what's impossible for you to sort of piece together in your brain, for God, it's no big deal, for there's nothing that's impossible for God. Nothing will be impossible with God. And that's a great little memory verse or a quite a great little phrase to sort of uh, tuck into your brain when you're facing difficult times. You know, remind yourself that God can do whatever God wants to do, and he's capable to fulfill and to help us and to lead us through things that seem impossible. And so Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord. May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Like, what an example of faith. Like, I have, I have no idea how old Mary was during this time. She was young. Even if she was old, to have this reaction, she has her question, the angel says, hey, God's going to take care of it. Here's a sign for you. Your, your old relative who is barren, she's pregnant. She's in her sixth month. You can go check it out. And her response is, 
I'm your servant. Like, whatever you want or whatever you desire to do in me, here's my life, take it, use it. Just such a response of faith, and I think it's even more highlighted if we, like, take into account her, her, her like, her youngness. This is a girl who has her whole life in front of her, who's certainly in, excited about her betrothal, her soon-to-be marriage, all of the things that are in front of her have just been put on hold because God is doing something different in her life. And she says, it's fine with me. I'm a servant of God. If this is your plan for my life, so be it. And she allows God to change the course of her life in its entirety without complaint, without anything. And it's such a tremendous example for us. Now, Luke doesn't share the other side of the story, but let's go over to Matthew chapter 1 because there's another side of this story. There's young Joseph who is also engaged He's also excited. He's a guy who's been living for God. And now, you know, he's going he's gonna to be faced with this reality that his fiance got pregnant by God. I know we, we tend to think, oh, the ancients weren't as wise as we were. But like this is like Joseph did not fall off the turnip truck yesterday. You know, like this is going to be news for him. And so over in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, Matthew documents the story, and kind of shares a little bit more from Joseph's perspective. And in verse 18, we read that, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. This is a crisis of epic proportions. Because nobody's going to buy the story. Not Joseph, not their community, Nobody. And for her to be placed in this situation, this would be catastrophic for her. She is going to have this scarlet letter around her and her community. And so here she is. We don't know how she broached this to him, but clearly he discovers somehow that Mary's pregnant with God's kid. And in verse 19, we, we learn a little bit about Joseph and Joseph, her husband, They were betrothed, but legally. To get out of an engagement required a divorce. Being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her. So he's a righteous man. He's living for God. He he knows that there was a way out. That with her being pregnant, he not knowing that absolutely it was not his kid, he could end this relationship and he can get out of the betrothal. Um. A lot of times the betrothal, you could be engaged, and then they would wait long enough to confirm that she wasn't pregnant. And then, so that's as early as the the wedding often could happen, the confirmation that she wasn't pregnant. So it could be very short, or it could be a whole year. And so at this point, he knows that she's pregnant. He's a righteous man. He's grappling with, am I going to enter into this relationship he loves her, he cares about her, but it seems to be indica- it seems to uh, reveal that he did not want to enter into a relationship with her. He did not want to go into the, the whole uh, to, to move forward with the marriage. But he wanted to do this in a way that was discreet, that she wouldn't be shamed, 
that she, he, not wanting to disgrace her, he planned to send her away secretly. So this is, like, it's easy for us to read this story and not to face the, the emotion and the pain, the sorrow, the hardship that they're facing in the midst of this. We read it as this beautiful story, like, oh, the virgin's now a child, a savior's born, let's give each other Christmas gifts and buy mistletoe and, like, drink eggnog and all of the wonderful things. Like, this is an absolutely devastating season for them. Mary's come to terms with it. Joseph is not necessarily so hopped to buy the God got me pregnant line. And so he's going to move on. Verse 20, but when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. I don't know if this is Gabriel. It could be. So he's having a dream. Angel shows up in the dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Like, why would he be afraid? Like, why, why would he be afraid? Well, getting married, there's, there's one strike. Of like, it's a scary thing to get married. Now, he's marrying a girl that's getting pregnant with, with God. So is he, like, marrying a crazy person? Like, 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 what is he thinking? Like, there's a lot of fears, like, grappling with. And I imagine that he's tossing and turning at night, and the angel says, hey, don't be afraid to, to marry her. You can take her as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will save the people from their sins. And so now Joseph has his own crisis of faith. Like, am I going crazy now? So now I have to marry her. The whole world is going to know that, the, that this child is not mine. And what is the community going to say about us? How is this going to be handled? But he gets this assurance from God that, hey, everything's going to be okay. What she's telling you is true. The world might not believe your guys' story, but you can know before God that the story that she is telling you is absolutely true. And so we see... Joseph and his righteousness, his courage. Is this this beautiful just picture? Like the church should. Like I think that the church in large part, um, like we are a church that stands with alternatives. We stand for the sanctity of human life. We, we believe in in protecting those children who are vulnerable in the womb. But it doesn't end there. Like the church has a responsibility to help and to care for um, single moms and their families. This is, like, this is something that I believe that God desires his church to do. And I see this example, like Joseph, that he's marrying this, this woman who has a child from God, and he's stepping up. He's going to adopt Jesus. He's going to raise Jesus as his own kid. Like, obviously, understanding that there's something different, we're going to see the stories play out. Like, can't, like, it's hard enough raising your own kid when they're sinful, and you're sinful, but trying to raise a kid, like, when you're sinful, and you're raising a sinless kid, it's like, 
talk about, like, this has got to be, like, the most difficult stepdad situation in the world, you know? But we see Joseph do this, and it's beautiful. So now back to our story back in Luke. So we get, and Luke just gives us sort of Mary's side. Mary says, I'm your servant. I'll do whatever you want. I'm ready to go. Verse Verse 39, she's catching the first train down to Judah. And now this time, Mary arose, and she didn't take a train just for clarity, like she walked. At this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country to a city of Judah. So now we can go back to that last map. I have the red circle, so she's up north. No, 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 no I mean, two maps ago, thank you. Sorry. Um, so she's moving from little circle down to big circle. We don't exactly know... But it's like there's nothing down there. It's 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 desert. Um, to put things in perspective, modern map. This is Gaza. You guys might have heard something in the news. Like so, this is the area that that all of the news is happening. Egypt's like right down here. So it's somewhere in that area. Um, it's about a 80 to 100 miles in a straight line. So it was a three day journey. So she started walking. Uh, we should sense. The urgency that now at this time Mary arose and went. Um, I believe that she she's wanting to get eyes on Elizabeth um, for a couple reasons. I, I suspect number one to to confirm that she's not going crazy. Like there's if 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 Elizabeth is pregnant, then that's a sign that something supernatural is happening here. If she's not pregnant, then I need to go find like a, a mental hospital and get some help because this is you know like I mean this is. She knows. I mean, the one person who truly knows the story is Mary, and this would be horrifying. And so she makes her way down there. She gets to Elizabeth. Um, like, I, I think that there is, like, th- this is a stretching some applications. I do think that there's some fellowship, uh, being in relationship with other believers, that when you're faced with sort of certain things and God's doing certain things in your life, it's so nice to have fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that can encourage you and to say, I remember when I had something like that going on, and this is how God moved. I don't know if he's doing the same thing in your life, but I, to, just to have encouragement, um, to have relationship there for when things surface in your life that are difficult, because they certainly will. And so in verse 41... When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, so now we're, all, we're there, we're at the front door. I think I might, did I skip a line? I might have skipped something. Two. So she went in a hurry to the hill country, and she entered the house of, Ze- oh, she entered the house of Zachariah, Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. So she gets to the house, knock, knock, knock. Hey, Elizabeth, it's Mary. She go, oh, I've been waiting for you. So when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, verse 41, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice, saying, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment in what had been spoken to her by the Lord. So Elizabeth clearly has had more time to process what's going on. She was waiting for her. 
She gets there. John the Baptist in her womb leaps to a way that was extraordinary. And remember, like the man writing this to us is a what? A physician. So he's writing from like a doctor's perspective. And to put things even like more so into our mind, because we live in a culture that both of these children in our culture legally could be terminated. So if the next slide, or if it's the next somewhere slide, you know which one it is. The, so on the left is Jesus. It's not actually Jesus. I don't actually have a picture of Jesus. But that's like, that's a baby that's six to eight weeks along. There's a heartbeat. There's brain waves. There's all sorts of things I didn't write down. And then we have a baby that's about six months on the right. And so this is, this is like the encounter that we're talking about. Baby on the, the, the right is in the womb. Here's the knocks. Here's the voice. We know from the, the prophecy that was given in the temple that he would be filled with the Spirit while in the womb. So he understands that the Messiah, his Savior, is that six-week-old child at the front door in the womb of Mary, still not quite grasping what's going on here. This is overwhelming. John uses the word baby, and this word in the the Greek New Testament is a fascinating word, how how even Luke uses it. Um, I don't think I wrote all of them down. You don't have to go over there. But so here, the baby leaped in her womb, and then she says, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. Later in Luke uh, 2.12, you will find a baby wrapped in clothes. So we see this distinction, baby in the womb, baby out of the womb, same word, 2.16, and the baby as he lay in the manger. So when Jesus is referred to as being in the manger, the whole Christmas story, same word for child baby that we're talking about in today's story in uh, Luke 18.15, and they were bringing even their babies to him. So so the picture of not that Jesus was a politician, but you know, baby politicians kissing babies and stuff. So all of the people are bringing their their little babies uh, to Jesus, so that He could bless them and encourage them. And for, in Acts seven nineteen, so that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. I forget what story that is. So that they would expose. Oh, I should have written more of that down. So that they would expose their infants and they would not survive. I don't know. It's a story. The same word. That's the importance here. So. So, so the, the Bible throughout, conception, baby, same word, same being, same everything except developmentally not as far along. Out of the womb, in the womb. Same word, same understanding from a biblical perspective. Here in today's story, we see this great, like, Great profession of the Messiah through a, a six-month-old baby in the womb, leaping for joy at the arrival of his Messiah. That was six weeks, seven weeks. Like we don't like, like three weeks consent. Like like we like very very early on, and this whole scene. It erupts in this song from Mary that we know is the Magnificat because in the, the word exalt, when she says, my soul exalts to magnify, 
So she, she erupts in this praise to the Lord. My soul exhorts, not exalt, exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in the God of my Savior, not co-redemptious. Mary is speaking her three-week-old or four-week-old baby, she's referring to as her Savior. If you're sinless, you don't need a Savior. If you're a sinner, you need a Savior. Mary was a sinner. She's recognizing that this child that she is carrying is the Savior of her soul. For he has had regard for the humble estate of his bond slave. She's speaking about herself. For behold... From this time on, all generations will count me blessed, and they should. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and his holy and, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their thoughts and in their hearts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who are humble He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This young lady just erupts with all of this scripture and understanding of scripture and things that would come that were promised in the Old Testament, she just erupts beautifully in this. God is so good. He cares for those of us that have nothing to bring to him. That he would exalt us in this way is, is unthinkable to her. It's this picture of beautiful worship that's done in total humility. And we're told in verse 56 that she, she, he, she and Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months up until the due date that John the Baptist would come. Next week, we look at the birth of John, and she goes back home to Nazareth three months along. And so like the whole, like, what do we do with this, this, this story? First, I just think that the whole story, like we're in the Christmas season. The Christmas season is supposed to be a season. I'm not supposed, we've hijacked it. I don't know what the Christmas season is actually supposed to be. Like what we use it for is a time in the year to sort of remember upon uh, the incarnation of Jesus, that, 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 that Jesus being God stepped out of heaven, became a man. We celebrate the Christmas story, and it's just this beautiful story of redemption. We see that in the midst of all of the bad that's in the world, that God is sovereign and he has a plan, and his, his story is unfolding as he would have it unfold in the midst of a chaotic world that desperately needs him. In this story, we see Mary and Joseph sort of the, they're the ones who are sort of front and center. And we see this young couple whose lives were turned upside down. And in the midst of everything going the way that they wouldn't have chosen, we see them in humility, just walking by faith, and trusting God's plan to unfold in their life. And so my prayer for those of you that don't know Jesus as your Savior, that you would continue to investigate who he is, investigate the claims of the scriptures, ask questions, there's resources. Do whatever you need to do to authenticate 
that Jesus is indeed Lord. I pray that you would have the tools and the things that you need so that ultimately you could respond in faith and trust him as your Savior. And for those of us who know Jesus as Savior, my prayer is that we would continue to walk with him in a way that our faith and our trust in him would develop, that whatever comes our way, we could respond like Mary. Lord, my life is in your hands. Whatever you choose to do with it, it's fine with me. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you again for this story. I thank you for Mary and her example in the Bible, and we see what she goes through as a mom. That Jesus was her kid, and she loved him as mothers love their children, and she hurt and had sorrow as she saw him hurting and sorrowful. I often think, as I look at the story and I think about Mary, I think of that one movie, The Passion of the Christ, and as Jesus was carrying his cross and he fell and she had that flashback of little toddler Jesus, skin in his knee and, and her not being able to help him. Lord, I just thank you for her example of throwing herself into your hands I'm sure she had many questions throughout the, the whole of her life as we have many questions. And I just thank you, Lord, that the Bible records her as being a woman who, who walked by faith, trusting you, allowing you to work in her life, even if it was uncomfortable or painful in her life. And I pray that you would help us to do the same. I thank you, Lord that Jesus came, that he entered into human form, that he lived his life and it was recorded by these followers of yours so that we could have this recording of who Jesus was, how he lived, that we could see the Father through his life. And so, Father, I do pray that you would draw us close to yourself, Lord, as we continue through the Gospel of Luke. I pray that you would draw us close to Jesus hopefully our Savior, for those who don't know him as Savior. I pray that you would move in their hearts and help them to get the answers that they need so that they could respond by faith. Father, we do thank you again for this story, and it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. <laughs>